This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Let's turn our attention now to the United States. Ahead of ceasefire talks between Ukraine and Russia, President Volodymyr Zelensky presses for more support in a phone call with U.S. President Joe Biden. Uh, Biden meets Finland's President Sally Ninisto as support grows in Finland for joining NATO. And of course, and you know, we did see things inching closer to reviving that Iran nuclear deal. But now U.S. officials are warning efforts could still fail. Yes, indeed. To give us an analysis of all of these developments, we speak now to Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Nirmal, thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, Ukrainian President Zelensky has announced that he spoke by phone with his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden yesterday uh, to talk about financial support and sanctions against Russia as his country, of course, faces this intensifying onslaught that the world is watching. How do you think Zelensky's attempt to secure direct NATO help in this conflict actually affect the third round of talks between Russia and Ukraine scheduled to take place today? Will these talks be jeopardized? Hi, nice to be back. Right. So this goes to the background. NATO involvement or Ukraine's potential membership of NATO has always been a red line for Vladimir Putin, who does not believe that Ukraine is or should be an independent nation. He believes Ukraine is a part of Russia, of Mother Russia. So there is a lot of history and circumstances were allowed to build up and produce what we have today. So trying to get NATO involved is a big no-no for Russia. And yet it is possibly the only hope for Ukraine to survive militarily what is going on now. Technically, of course, NATO doesn't need to get involved because Ukraine is not a member. But you can't blame Ukraine for trying to get NATO into the act because they want some leverage. But so far, there is every indication that NATO and, of course, including the U.S., will not intervene. Though they are supplying aid and weapons and they are exploring ways to get more weapons into Ukraine. They are working on sending fighter jets from Poland, which can be flown by trained Ukrainian pilots. Secretary of State Tony Blinken said the U.S. would greenlight that. So given all this, as such, calling for NATO intervention from Russia's point of view is not constructive for talks. It cements Putin's view of the Western alliance as an enemy. And it is anyway pointless, you could argue, because NATO won't intervene. Nobody thinks NATO and the U.S. will cross the line into direct intervention, because that would most likely mean war between NATO and Russia. And that escalation is to be avoided. But NATO is also leveraged, because Putin has had the whip hand till now, But the longer this drags on, the worse for him as well. So basically, in answer to your question, it's a mixed bag. All right, Nirmal, thanks for that. We also saw over the weekend a Russian flight en route to Washington to collect Russian diplomats who were expelled from their posts at the United Nations over U.S. national security concerns. Now, in terms of these allegations, how true are they? And what kind of implications are we looking at on how the U.S. embassy can function over in Moscow? We will not know how true the allegations are until we see the whole case, and those details have not been revealed. But it is not unusual per se that they were, or some of them were engaged in espionage, or that some diplomats would be gathering information and that could be interpreted as espionage. In many embassies around the world, there are diplomats who are actually from that country's intelligence service, and the host country generally knows who is who. True diplomats may also step over the line sometimes and often that is ignored because it happens so often anyway. In this case, it is less about what exactly they were doing. They could well have been engaging in real espionage, but it is more about a larger effort to send a message and isolate Russia diplomatically and economically. 
As for the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, one can expect a tit-for-tat expulsion of some American diplomats. That's the way it works. Whether they are spies or not, it is reciprocal. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Remember last Friday, U.S. President Joe Biden and his Finnish counterpart, Saulini Nisto, agreed to deepen ties, but they stopped short of making public security guarantees or suggesting that Finland could join NATO after Russia's Ukraine invasion. Talk to us about the implications of this. What can we expect from Finland's interest to join NATO and close cooperation with the U.S. vis-à-vis Russia? This is quite interesting and an example of how Vladimir Putin miscalculated or overreached, you might say. He has succeeded in uniting NATO. He's triggered an abrupt and significant change in Germany's foreign policy. And he's got these two countries, Finland and Sweden, trying to, wanting to join NATO. Finland was invaded by Russia in 1939 and fought them off. And the way things are going, it makes sense for Finland and Sweden to join NATO so that Europe is united in putting down its own red lines against Vladimir Putin and not risking another Ukraine. Now, Putin has threatened both, and once they apply for NATO membership, that will be the period in which, if he is going to attack them, he will attack. Because after joining NATO, it of course would be too late. But, and this is a big but, given the way things are going in Ukraine, it would be sheer folly to start another couple of wars. It would almost surely totally collapse Russia, which is a superpower but really doesn't have the resources to support a long and massive war, or several. Putin can threaten to attack Finland and Sweden if they attempt to join NATO, and there is no telling what he is capable of, but on balance, he's unlikely to actually do it. We're on the line this morning with Nirmal Ghosh, who is U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Nirmal, next issue. Uh, while the Biden administration recently announced that it's inching closer to an agreement to salvage the Iran nuclear deal, there are a number of very difficult issues that are still not solved. Can you tell us more about these unsolved issues and how critical it will be for the outcome of the Biden administration in the face of these crippling sanctions? Yes, Iran's foreign ministry spokesman has identified the remaining outstanding issues as the degree to which sanctions will be lifted, a guarantee that the United States will not quit the pact again, and number three, resolving questions over uranium traces found at several old but undeclared sites in Iran. Now, they were actually anticipating they will reach agreements, but now there is another issue. Russia has demanded a written guarantee that its economic trade with Iran will be exempted from U.S. sanctions imposed on Russia. That is a spanner in the works, but among analysts following this, there remains some optimism on the prospects for a deal. Now, Nirbal, during last week's Quad meeting between India, Japan and Australia and the US, the commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific continues to be emphasised, even amid the ongoing crisis in Europe. Talk to us about the significance of an affirmative US engagement. Why do they see a need to step up efforts right now to promote this free and open Indo-Pacific region? The lessons of Ukraine are not lost on the region. Taiwan, for example, is in some ways comparable to Ukraine. The region is also living with nuclear deterrence and with the shadows of old conflicts. The U.S. on its part has to show that it is indeed the global power and can maintain its focus and its footprint in the Indo-Pacific as well as Europe. So among other things, the Quad leaders agreed that what is happening to Ukraine should not be allowed to happen in the Indo-Pacific. And they also agreed they would have another in-person meeting in Tokyo in the coming months. So U.S. interests in the region and the perceived threat of China to U.S. hegemony, all that remains the same. 
the U.S. wants to stress it remains fully engaged. We will next see the U.S. ASEAN summit here in D.C. later this month and then maybe that quad meeting in Tokyo. Thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us this morning. We've been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. We'll catch up with you again next week. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.